Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. I mean, honestly, it's been WandaVision and then now this, the interview that we just discussed with Oprah and um, that show Behind Her Eyes, <laughs> which uh, is another only, still bad. Part of, only still part of the conversation because the ending is so bonkers. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, those have been, the, I would say, the big shows of the year so far. And, and, and to your point about Ted Lasso, that has had an enormous staying power. Like I've seen people saying I'm, I'm watching it again for the third time or the fourth time. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello once again, I'm Lou Katz and I want to welcome you into our podcast that it keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment and let the record show this is our 80th episode. Oh, wow. Our 80th episode. And knowing that, we want to welcome now, as we always do, from Vulture and WTOP Radio, the one, the only, Jen Chaney. I am also 80. (laughs) Maybe cut that in half. Our our guest critic this week from RogerEbert.com. You know her, you love her. Let's bring on Nell Minow. Bravo. Yay. And stuck in the middle, longtime entertainment <laughs> reporter. And by the way, the guy who's nowhere close to 80. Let's <laughs> let's hear it for Arch Campbell. Yeah, I just feel like I'm 80. That's all. <laughs> so, but anyway, here we are. And and it's always a great pleasure to uh, talk to uh, Jen and Nell Minow and Lou about what's going on in entertainment. And uh, shall we start with uh, what are we recommending this week? Hey, guess what? There's a new Marvel show coming out. Isn't that hard <laughs> to believe? And I, I had a chance to watch the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which uh, is arriving on Disney Plus on Friday. And, um, you know, I wasn't as enthralled as I was with WandaVision, just because that was such an interesting way in uh, to this world. But I, I think people are going to like this. It's... it's uh, Got a great action sequence right at the top of the episode. Superheroes cannot be allowed to exist. And it's really looking at how Anthony Mackie's character, Sam, and Bucky, um, who's played by Sebastian Stan, are both kind of coping after, after you know, the snap. So it is, again, kind of, I wouldn't say it's an exploration of grief, but it's definitely an exploration of people trying to recover after a crisis. Um, but it's also very much, I mean, I will say that it's very much a Marvel movie, even though it's a TV show, like they, they are not sparing any expense in terms of what they're doing with effects um, or seemingly budget. Uh, it, it's uh, really on, on par with what you would see with in a regular movie. Mm, cool. And uh, Nell Menno, it's always interesting to hear what's catching your attention. Well, I really like uh, The Courier, which is in theaters this weekend, and I presume will be on streaming very soon. Benedict Cumberbatch stars in a true story that I didn't know anything about, but it sounds like something out of a Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. It's an ordinary salesman, and uh, he gets picked by the CIA and MI6, to go to Moscow uh, as the, in the guise of a salesman and retrieve some very, very important military secrets. And it's about what happens then. This is unexpected. I can't believe I'm actually having lunch with spies. I'm just a salesman. Exactly. You're a civilian, so the KGB won't be watching. It would be a real service to Great Britain. 
What do you want me to do? So we're all very familiar with what was going on during the Cuban Missile right. Crisis here. I thought it was extremely well done. It works on different levels, the historical stuff, the spy stuff, and the personal relationship. Uh, and I had a great time interviewing the director, Dominic Cook, who comes cool. from theater. And uh, and so it's not surprising. I'm not I'm not dissing the rest of the movie, but it's not surprising, given his theatrical background, that the strongest parts in the movie are just two people in a room talking to each other, mm, which he did wow. very well. So uh, I am reminding uh, friends of uh, Sound of Metal, which is on Amazon Prime and is finding an audience and uh, I think is uh, one of the uh, uh, creative successes of the year so far. Uh, the story of a, of a heavy metal musician who's going deaf. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. It's getting a lot of attention, and it's on Amazon Prime, so it's available. Speaking of that, there's a wonderful story in the Washington Post basically telling you where you can find the movies that are nominated for an Oscar. And uh, I, I highly recommend it to everyone. In a nutshell, Mank is on Netflix and The Trial of the Chicago 7 is on Netflix. Uh, Sound of Metal, One Night in Miami and the Borat sequel are on uh, Amazon. Another Round, which we must talk about today, and uh, Nomadland are on Hulu, and uh, the others are streaming, and you rent them for uh, 20 bucks. So, uh, so anyway, that's where I am. So this has been uh, an interesting week. Let's dive into the Oscar nomination since we got on that anyway. <laughs> who wants to go first? What do we think of the Oscar nominations this year? Well, you know what I'm going to say. So somebody else go first. <laughs> I never know what you're going to say, Jen. Well, it's um, the same thing I said last week. I'm just, I, I, I've never been so fatigued to talk about it, like just because it's been going on for so long. And I, and I don't even have strong feelings about it at this point, because I'm just like, just, just present them so we can move on. <laughs> For me, one of the issues is, is that issue of what and where are they and uh, how do I watch them and why aren't people talking about them? Nell, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the glass half full uh, take on it. Well, that's uh, not like you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's like me to be contrarian with what's just been said. How's that? <laughs> you know, yeah, it has been dragging on for a very, very long time. And I just want to say a word for my beloved Critics' Choice Association mm -hmm. that they, did, they had a beautiful show and very, very well-chosen awards and had the bad luck to be up against Oprah interviewing Harry and Meghan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody watched it but me, but I thought it was very good. Just my general thought about the Oscars is that these are people who watch screeners that are sent to them by the studio. They're not people mm -hmm. like us who watch the movies that happen all year long. So there's often a big disconnect between the critic awards and the and the Oscars. This year, because of the craziness of 2020, we didn't get sort of the big sort of theatrical, normative white male movies that normally get nominated for Oscars. So it was fun for me 
to see movies like The Sound of Metal, which was a, a, a dream project of two brothers who put that whole thing together on a budget of about a nickel, get nominated for not just Best Picture, Best Actor, First Muslim actor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actor. So and Paul Racy. That was the one where I really let out uh, a yell mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I heard that. Uh, he's so wonderful in the movie. And you think to yourself, this is the guy who gets nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. This is not the guy that gets nominated. For right. Him. I love seeing two women uh, nominated for Best Director. And, you know, I, I thought the, the nominations were fine. Um, and I share the concern of those who say, they're not buzzy enough to get anybody to watch the show. I wanted to ask both of you about the response to Mank. How come everybody hates Mank except for me, <laughs> who, is an old, who is 80 years old and in college went to classic movies because that's what everybody watched then? I love Mank, and I am an unabashed fan of Mank, so I have no problem with that. I mean, my big problem with Mank is the same problem I have with Judas and the Black Messiah, which is that the actor uh, who played Mank was about, you know, much too old to play the actual character. But I, I think it's a brilliant movie. I couldn't be happier that it's nominated, and so that's fine. How about, I, I'd say every year, in my opinion, the category that is the worst in terms of putting up uh, nominations that are all terrible is the song category. Uh, <laughs> it's always a song that's played over the closing credits by Diane Warren, and they're all, you know, they just have nothing to do with the movie. My great mentor, Roger Ebert, used to say they should only nominate songs that have some meaning in the movie. And so, with that in mind, I love that Eurovision nomination. I just <laughs> love it. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't even look at the best song. And anymore. and Jeff, you know your your colleague, uh, Bill Ebry, uh, loves that movie, and he was beside himself over the nomination. He was to, to answer Archer's question about Mank, though. I mean, I I appreciated a lot of things about that movie actually, but I think it, the pushback is maybe gets back to what Nell had said earlier, which is it is a very kind of typical. Oscar nominated movie made by a white male director who has been around for a while that is about a movie that we've been told repeatedly is the greatest movie and has been established as that over and over again. So there there is a sort of like this is an establishment type of film quality that I think people associate with that movie that maybe that's where some of the pushback is coming from. Well, can this uh, turn out to be the most diverse collection of winners uh, once uh, April 25th uh, comes and goes? Uh, does this have uh, the ability to be uh, uh, a turning point or a memorable award ceremony because of diversity? You know, maybe. I, I, it's The more important thing is for the, the diversity to actually be happening more and more behind the scenes in terms of who's getting to make things. And to Nell's point, this was an unusual year because some of these things that would have been more fringy in a typical year are are, are mainstream choices now. Um, and in some ways that is reflective of what society looks like, but I'm always skeptical to say like, because these things were nominated, now everything is different. Cause I feel like we've said that right. a lot and it hasn't proven to be true. So uh it's a nice idea, but we'll see if that's actually the case. I think it's important to mention that the Academy has done a lot to try to make itself more diverse. 
And I think the more relevant factor than the uh, ethnic and gender of the members of the academy is lowering the age. Uh, <clears throat> the academy has always been a lot of old white men. And the fact that they are lowering the average age, I think, has also helped uh, get uh, more diversity into the nominations, which reminds me, I want to talk for a moment, uh, speaking of diversity, of the Golden Globes. Uh, I saw right. this morning Good. that the, uh, the publicists have called on the Golden Globes to clean up their act. Do you think they will? I think the pressure needs to be put on NBC to stop broadcasting them. And in fact, there's a very strong column, I think, in The Hollywood Reporter this week saying NBC ought to be broadcasting the Screen Actors Guild Awards or the Critics' uh, Choice Awards and not this collection of, of uh, oddballs with their hand out. Jen? No, I think I, I haven't seen that column, but that's, that's a really great point. I mean, that, part of the problem with the HFPA, in addition to it not being diverse enough, is that it's just a very small group that isn't representative of the industry, and it's not even representative of the press, to, your, mm -hmm. to the point that that um, piece sounds like it's making. So um, a group that is both more diverse and, and broader in, in, in just in terms of number of members I don't know. To me, that's more of an indication of, of what's relevant than, than maybe what they're doing. I helped to develop the membership guidelines for the Washington Area Film Critics Association. And we have one of the highest standards of any geographically based critics association. We require at least 50 reviews a year. I figure if you can't do a, a movie a week, then, you know, then you're the Washington area film friends association. You're not actually the critics association. And if you haven't, since we exist for the one purpose of giving awards, if you haven't seen a literal critical mass of movies, who are you to give awards? And the opposite end of that is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is made of, first of all, they don't publicize the members. We, you know, every other critics association says, here's who our members are. They have to live in LA. So that also limits the number of non-US journalists who can even be eligible to participate. And they get paid. They get paid to be a part of the organization. It's just so corrupt. You know, the Emily in Paris, I'm not going to call it Emily in Paris, okay? I don't care. The Emily in Paris <laughs> nomination, you know, coming after they were all flown to Paris to stay in a $1,200 right. hotel. And, and today, Shonda Rhimes uh, says mm -hmm. that she couldn't get them to come to a Bridgerton event. You know, that just shows you how skewed it is. And people like the Golden Globes for two reasons. One, they give out so many awards with their different categories for comedy and non-comedy, comedy or musical and drama. And they're, you know, doing television and movies. And the other reason is that they get everybody liquored up and they hope that somebody's going to do something stupid, uh, mm -hmm. which happens. But that's, that's about it. What did you think of the Grammy Awards? Did you watch the Grammys? Yes. Uh, and I want to hear what Jen has to say about this, because I think they may have cracked the code. They finally did a pretty good award show uh, for broadcast television. I agree. I, I thought it was really, really well done. You know, it helps that the Grammys is so uh, performance oriented. The bulk of the awards are actually given out 
during the day in, a, in an early ceremony that's not broadcast. They were helped by the fact that they were able to gather to some extent, more so than some of the other previous award shows were able to do. But, you know, I love that they had that outdoor stage um, because you could hear the traffic going by uh, sometimes. And it, it almost felt like they were at a wedding underneath a big tent. And there was something really intimate and, and nice about those acceptance speeches. And I thought a lot of the performances were really, really great. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with the way that they did that. And I loved like there were a couple of times when Trevor Noah was who was hosting would talk to the artists um, after they had performed or stop Beyonce from walking off the stage so that he could talk about mm -hmm. the fact that she had just, you know, tied the record for the most Grammys for a female artist. Like it was really, it, it, you, it felt like you were in the moment and you were there with them. I couldn't agree more. I love the intimacy of it. A problem that I've had with the Grammys in the past is that because of the way it was set up, I always felt that the sound quality of the performances was not good, but because they were so small and intimate, it, you, it was like having them in your living room. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, so I love that. And yet the audience numbers were way down. And so I wonder if that will discourage them from going in that direction in the future. Well, don't you think there's award show fatigue that had already been going on before uh, the uh, quarantine? Um, maybe with, you know, seeing the same movies get nominated with SAG and, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and the Golden Clothes, but not so much with music. Uh, that's really, I mean, other than the country music awards, that's really pretty much the one night a year. So I thought, it, I thought it was wonderful. In terms of the ratings, I mean, I, I do think that there is, award shows in general have been trending down. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think because <laughs> this year has been so strange with things being postponed that I don't think the average person even necessarily knew the Grammys were on, knew when the Golden Globes were anymore, because it's just, it's, it's so off the usual schedule mm -hmm. uh, and people are dealing with so much that I, I just don't think they're paying attention to that stuff. I also want to salute the Grammy nominees for uh, really bringing it on the red carpet, uh, as opposed to some of the other shows that we've seen this year where people are at home in their pajamas, you know, except for awards. <laughs> Jason, uh, but I, I support his sweatshirt. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were on the record for that. There were, some, there were some awesome, awesome, awesome outfits at the, at the Grammy. All right, now I have a question for both of you because uh, this week I saw an excellent report by Jeffrey Brown on the PBS NewsHour on uh, the film I have been calling Minari, and he referred to it as Minari. And all throughout the report, it was Minari, and the introduction by Judy Woodruff was Minari, min 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 not Minari. How do you pronounce it? I mean, they say Minari in the movie, don't they? Yes, that's how I heard it in the movie. Okay, well, fine. Then I'm going to stick <laughs> with Minari. I go with uh, with uh, uh, Judy Woodruff. You know, she's always impeccable. So well, she is impeccable, and so it really threw me off my couch. Yeah, she said, <laughs> "Minari." Do you think uh, Minari will get any? Uh, Oscars? I think it's going to win Best Supporting Actress for the uh, woman who plays the grandmother. Oh, I think I and you could be right. I've been thinking it was going to be Amanda Seyfried, but you could be right. I think uh, the uh, grandmother, because of the pushback against Mank mm -hmm. uh, and, and of uh, voters wanting 
wanting to go uh, into the future. And I think that would be a future pick. Uh, I, I have a curveball to, to propose, which is that, yeah. and I don't like this curveball. <laughs> they they give it to Glenn Close, who who deserves yes, it very much. Yes, you know I've thought of but that. Does not deserve for That's that film. Get her out of there! Wow, no, that is the worst movie, and I'm a huge Ron it's Howard fan. Terrible. I love Ron Howard movies. I hated every minute of that movie. I hated yeah. every bit of that performance, and I and the fact that the that they got nominated for makeup and hair is beyond. Uh, but uh, don't you think it's, oh my God, she's got to sit there and lose again. Let her lose again. Let her, you know, it's like giving to Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant when he should have gotten it for Wolf of Wall Street. Right. I, I, you know, please do not give it to Glenn Close. That would be a- I think you're onto something, Jen. <laughs> I hate to say it. I'm, I'm pushing for, actually, I like Amanda Seyfried a lot. But I'm pushing for the grandmother in what I'm calling Minari. All right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, really, Glenn Close with that whole speech about the Terminator. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I, I just oh hated my. every minute of it. You know. And not only that, but the author of the book now is running for Congress, supported by uh, a billionaire or a libertarian. Oh. I just, uh, no, hey. no, no, uh, no, no. Uh, well, hold your breath. Okay. Uh, can I want to ask about a couple of films we haven't discussed. One is The Father, which mm. has been in theaters and now is about to uh, come on streaming with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and, and I found it uh, particularly moving and a wonderful performance by him. Have you, either of you seen the father with Anthony Hopkins as a man uh, going into dementia. Yeah, I, I really liked it also. I mean, I thought Anthony Hopkins was extraordinary in it. No big surprise. Um, and so is Olivia Coleman. But even the way that they told the story, um, mm -hmm. where it sort of put you in, in his character's mindset. Um, and I thought they did a great job of that because I didn't have an, a hard time understanding where they were going with it. I don't know if other people felt the same way but I knew what they were doing immediately. And, and I thought it was such an interesting way to tell a story of someone with dementia. So yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it reminded me of Sound of Metal. So we've had really two movies mm -hmm. where you're very subjective inside the head of somebody who's dealing with a severe loss. And Anthony Hopkins, everybody in it was amazing. Imogen Poots was great. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, the fact that you're seeing what he sees and you are also off balance. Is this his apartment? Has he moved in with his daughter? Is she leaving him? Is she not leaving him? And then that makes that last scene where we're finally objective and we're seeing it as the audience so devastating, so powerful. I thought it was just a wonderful movie. It's, and I see I, the director, that was the first time director directing his own uh, play. And I see that he has now been... Uh, is now getting started on doing another one called The Sun. So I, I'm not sure what that will be, but uh, I'll be interested in watching it. It's one of those, another one of those films I hope people find. Have you seen, either of you seen, I, I noticed Thomas Vinterberg, the director, is nominated as Best Director for Another Round. Have, have either of you watched Another Round? Yes. I, I've, and I watched I, it. Yeah. And what did you think? Um, I have come to like it more as time goes by. 
but uh, I came away thinking I was underwhelmed. Isn't it about a bunch of middle-aged guys who decide to get drunk a lot? Isn't that what the yeah. theme yeah. of the movie is? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what, there's There's a reason for it. There's some... They, and there's, they come across a, a scientific study that says the human bloodstream is... 0.05 deficient in alcohol. <laughs> and if you raise your blood alcohol level to this uh, level, that it uh, loosens you and uh, makes you more creative. That's, and yeah. there, are, there are four guys in their 40s who are depressed and uh, working with a midlife crisis. And, uh, and I, you know, I kind of bristled at the idea of uh, being drunk all the time. Yeah, I mean, they, they play it for laughs initially, and then it obviously becomes more of a, a serious issue. Mm -hmm. and, and I think with that movie, the part of it that sticks with most people is, is the ending, the last scene, which is this yeah, really joyous, yeah. celebratory scene that... Um, especially in, in quarantine, I think is very cathartic to watch. I think I liked it a little more than you did, Arch. Uh, and I've seen, and I'm blanking on the name of it, but another movie that um, Mads Mikkelsen was in that was a Vinterberg movie that I liked a lot. So I liked it. I, I don't know that I necessarily would have occurred to me to nominate him as best director, but I did like mm -hmm. it. Uh, I was just, I was surprised to see it uh, on the list of, uh, of Oscar uh, picks, uh, at least for the director. It's and very unusual to have a foreign language director uh, picked as uh, as best director. Well, and th this also speaks to, there was an article, I didn't, don't recall if it was the Hollywood Reporter or, or where I read it, but about how the attempt to diversify and, and include more members in the Academy has also diversified the branches other than acting. And so you're getting um, more people mm -hmm. in different aspects of the film world. And that could, you know, help explain why we're seeing some of these nominees that are a little less conventional than what we typically see, because some of the people that um, are doing the nominating may actually now be people who sit down and watch all these movies, <laughs> <laughs> contrary to what we're used to. Imagine. Imagine that. So we're coming close to movie theaters, maybe coming back. How do we feel about that? Are you ready to go back to a movie theater now? Not quite, but I've got my appointment for my second shot. So I, I think I will be sometime in the late spring or summer. Um, but until then, I'll be watching uh, Godzilla versus Kong at home like everybody else. <laughs> Jen, are you uh, ready to? I'm the only one without a vaccine, man. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I would do it in the circumstance in which we some of us saw Tenet, which was a very small group of people in a very large theater spaced out. I felt pretty safe in that regard, but that was a press screening. It wasn't just going to the movies with the general public. And I don't think I'm gonna be ready to do that until more people are vaccinated. Supposedly, the next step will be they'll open for 25% of capacity, but I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. And, and I don't know where we're gonna to go to the movies. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. since we, we keep losing theaters. Yeah. Uh, no, Maza. Maza and the Arlington Cinema and Draft House is closing too. Really? Oh, really? I didn't see that. Yikes. Well, uh, on that note, <laughs> Lou, what's the latest on, uh, on Hound Radio and what are you watching these days? Well, we watched Mank. I slept through about 25% of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can I tell you? Hey, hey. <laughs> we w- watched the uh, fourth episode of uh, Alan V. Farrow, and uh, I'm not sure which side I am on that one. And and the fourth, we actually started the fourth season of The Crown. We're a little late to get started on that one, but that's what we've been watching at Casa Cats. And I will tell you what we're soon going to be eating, and that's a bunch of bagels. Check this out. I like bagels, big around. Please bring me the finest bagels in town. And you'll find those at Bethesda Bagels. You'll also find them playing Hound Radio at their downtown Bethesda location. Owner Steve Fleischman and the staff know how to make a great bagel, and they also know a great radio station when they hear one. Thanks, folks, for aiming your dough-covered ears at Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Okay, Jim, uh, you have several things on your mind, and uh, please take the microphone. Have either of you seen the Snyder Cut of um, the new cut of Justice League? No. I have not, but I have switched from not planning to watch it to planning to watch it based on uh, what uh, my boss, Mad Zoller Seitz, and some of the other critics have said about it. Uh, I was not a fan of the two-hour version or of Batman versus Superman, but uh, I'm now intrigued by what I've read. Have you seen it? I, I haven't because it's four hours long and I've just been kind oh of putting it off. Is there um, justice also, in that? <laughs> and also Zack Snyder is my least favorite working filmmaker. I can't stand all of his movies with the exception of his remake of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I get like so angry when I walk out of his films, but like Nell said, (laughs) I've been seeing a lot of positive reviews of this. So I'm kind of curious now just just see what it is. But I read that if he took out the slow motion and put everything in regular motion, it would have been two hours. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be HBO max. Mm, Okay. Great. Uh, can we mention Yafit Kodo very quickly, yes. 81 years old and uh, had a long career in film uh, starting in the uh, early 70s and I suppose is best known as uh, the villain in uh, the James Bond film, Live and Let Die. Yeah, Mr. Bond. I doubt you get the chance to drown. And also had a long run on uh, the NBC show Homicide. We reached a certain age where we realized we know less about life than we did when we were 17. When I was 17, I remember. I believed in life. I trusted life. I believed there were answers to questions. I had hope. And right now, I want to tell you, I hate myself. I loved uh, him in as the FBI agent in Midnight Run, one of my favorites. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He's great. He's great in that. He just had... Wonderful, wonderful screen presence. Surprises me. Uh, he hasn't done that much lately. I think he went back to stage work. Yeah. Uh, we salute Yafit Kodo. And Jen, you uh, always uh, throw uh, flashbacks and favorites at us. <laughs> Embarrassing questions that draw on our past. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just talking about going back to movie theaters, and I was curious... If you can think of, I'm sure there's many moments like this, but a moment that like where the audience was reacting to something in a movie that just really stuck with you, just the way that everybody responded. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have twice in my life been in the exact right audience for a movie. Once was the movie Dick, which is a humorous take on Watergate. Mm -hmm. 
and I went to it at a screening for Washington journalists. I was at, the, I bet I was at that screening too. And, and yeah, in Arlington? I, yeah. And I, I, brought, my, I brought, my, brought my son, who is a political junkie, and it could not possibly have been a better audience. They knew every one of the characters, they understood every one of the jokes. That was really great. And then uh, the screening where I saw the first Borat movie was a college screening. I was the only one there that was not a college student. And again, that was just the perfect audience for that movie. And they were screaming with laughter. <laughs> one year I went down to South by Southwest because I always wanted to do that in Austin. And I'm a graduate of the University of Texas anyway. And I went to a screening at the Alamo Theater on South Lamar of Sorry to Bother You. Mm. And it started with uh, a kinescope of a Spike Jones television show from the 50s. <laughs> so the audience was, was jacked up anyway. And then Sorry to Bother You takes this ridiculous turn from uh, <laughs> comedy to sci-fi and the audience was practically ripping the seats out. And they were all old adults like me, people who could afford to be there. And uh, I just, I loved the reaction and uh, that night. So that's one. Jen, you must have several. Well, there's a couple that I was thinking of that, are, that were specifically responses to the ending of a movie. I suspect that you guys were there when we had the press screening for Inception. Mm. And I, I just remember very specifically when that top spins and, and then it just cuts, the whole audience went <gasps> like, <laughs> all collectively like, oh my God. And, and then I was thinking about, um, this was years ago when I was a um, intern at DC 101 and went to a promotional screening for What's Love Got to Do With It, um, which I was thinking about because of the Tina Turner documentary that's coming yeah. out. And that goes to, you know, the real Tina Turner comes out at the end and you see her performing. And everybody in that theater was practically a standing ovation when the real Tina Turner like came onto mm -hmm. the screen. People mm -hmm. were just so excited. I think I was at that screening and the guy behind me said about uh, Ike, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, man, I, I, I went opening night of The Crying Game, which did not have a preview. And I was sitting on the steps in the back of the Outer Circle Theater. And when the reveal comes, <laughs> you saw every reaction you could think of. So, uh, Lewis, uh, shall we uh, wrap things up? And what a, what a great uh, time to uh, speak with both of you. And thanks so much for being here, Nell. And yeah. Jen, always great. We were talking earlier about uh, original music for Oscars, and I want to play the one that won in uh, 2019. Do you remember which one it was who won the Oscar for Best Original uh, Song? I can't remember. Elton John, Bernie Taupin. From, oh, right. From Rocket Man. I'm going to oh. love me again, and we would love if you join us again next week for our podcast right here. Have a great week.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.